All right, folks, welcome to Jet Cetera. This is the Winnipeg Free Press podcast about the Jets, sports, and etc. I'm your host, sports editor Steve Lyons, and I'm joined as usual by sports columnist Mike McIntyre. Mike, it's episode 55. The Mark Shifley edition. <laughs> we should talk about Mark Shifley. Yeah. And today we'll be talking about the Jets' win over the Leafs uh, last night on Tuesday, March the 9th. Today's March the 10th, right? It is. We're just flying through the month here. We are, yeah. Um, we'll also talk about how the team's top defenseman. Um, some people will say that's a that's a um, what's the word a um, oxymoron. Oxymoron, yeah, right? Yeah. Like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> 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 Anyways, Nathan Bullyu went down with a hand injury in the game last night, and then uh, the other guys had to step up and uh, play a little bit more. We'll talk a little bit about the trade deadline. Uh, a look back on the last year in sports. It's one year tomorrow, folks, that the sports world first went dark. Um, that that last, flew by, didn't it? It did. Speaking <laughs> of flying by, that's also one year since I was last on an airplane because oh, I was wow. on the road in Edmonton All with right. the team. We'll so. talk about that. <laughs> and then spring has sprung. It did. It's a little gloomy today and chilly, but still. And Mike is itching to swing the sticks, so we'll talk a little bit about our plans for spring. And we're also going to talk about how you compared me to both God and Tiger Woods earlier no, today. No, I did not, but we'll get to that, yeah. yeah. No, I said only God. There's an old saying that only God and Jack Nicholas uh, hit a one iron. Right. Um, I switched it to God and Tiger Woods. And I think uh, you said a two iron. Two iron, I yeah. actually enjoy hitting both a one and a two iron. And believe it or not, I can hit them both pretty well. All right. I'll look forward to hearing that in our overtime session. I'm skeptical, folks. Um, <laughs> pretty good is relative, isn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Pretty good compared to who and compared to what. <laughs> All right, first period. <laughs> uh, Mike, the Jets uh, won last night. They beat the Leafs 4-3. to three. Um, And it's they won the Winnipeg way yet again. <laughs> Um, they caved in on every statistical category except for the most important one, which is the scoreboard, um, thanks to Hellebeck and their high-end finishers. So you're wondering what kind of statement, if any, does this uh, beating Toronto last night make? Um, interestingly, you know, uh, prior to the game, I was reading some Toronto media stories in advance of the game. Some of them have already coronated the Leafs, of course. The parade is planned already. Yes, yes. But then there are some other more veteran journalists who work at newspapers who have seen this picture show many times before. And inter I found it interesting that a number of them were writing about how the series versus the Jets was a serious litmus test for the Leafs. Right. We talk about it as a measuring right. stick for the Jets. They were viewing it the same way. Correct. And so, like, because people in Toronto would say, well, sure, the Leafs have this record, but they haven't played the Jets yet. There's actually people saying that in <laughs> Toronto, folks. And so I know that there's a lot of people here saying, oh, sure, the Jets have that record, but they haven't beat the Leafs yet. Well, they did last night. So it was an interesting battle. I'm not sure what it says. It's one game. They're going to play eight more times. Right. So um, the other thing that I found interesting is some of the articles, a couple of them were saying that most of them predict that all of this is kind of superfluous in some sense and that none of it will matter until the playoffs. And really, uh, and the Toronto media were saying the road to the Stanley Cup for the Leafs will go through the Jets. So we'll see that. Uh, what do you think of the game? Well, and if they continue on their current trajectory, Toronto and Winnipeg, if they were to meet in the in the playoffs, it wouldn't be till the second round, Steve, because 
you know, Toronto and Winnipeg right now are running one and two. And of course, the way the playoff format would work is one versus four, two versus three. So I guess if you're the Jets and maybe if you're the Leafs, you'd probably like to avoid each other if you're going to make the postseason. And maybe you figure, you know, you wouldn't want to, to face each other in the first round. One of you would get knocked out. Although eventually, I guess you have to beat everybody. But it would be hard to imagine. I guess if I mean, the one Jets would have to fall the fourth yeah, or yeah. somehow they'd have to go to second and third yeah. in a team like Montreal or something or ah, Edmonton. Edmonton. Um, so, you know, the, the, the statement that the Jets made to me is a statement that, those of us who follow this team, I think we've seen this statement made many times before. That, you know, I saw some people commenting Toronto-wise who probably haven't seen the Jets a whole lot, and their eyes were open, like the way they play, like this this is kind of a dangerous way to live. We've just kind of gotten used to this. This is the Jets' game last night. They followed a very similar script that they've kind of followed for a few seasons around here, which is Ride your Vesna Trophy winner in net. Uh, a lot of shots. Um, you can debate, I guess, how good a quality those shots are. Paul Maurice tends to take a different view than maybe a lot of us. He thinks that, you know, what they might call high danger, he views as shots that they're willing to give because they know Connor Hellebuck will stop the majority of them, and he does most nights. When he doesn't, uh, he like... He squares up to those shots very well. He does. Yeah. Yeah. And every, every now and then he springs a little leak like he did maybe in Montreal the other night. And so what you get is 7-1. There's a lot of people, Steve, that would say last night could have been 7-1 for Toronto based on the, the shot volume and the quality. But, you know, the Jets were on. Halibut was on. And, you know, I, I use that example of the Kyle Connor goal. There's a perfect example of how the Jets need very little time and space sometimes to execute. You know, they Nikolai Ehlers goes, makes a, a real elite play behind the Toronto net, a small little seam. He finds Kyle Connor, who we know is a great shooter and finisher. Boom, the Jets have their first lead and, and they, they didn't look back. Um, you know, Mason Appleton, I don't think we'd include him as an elite finisher, but he certainly looked the part with that fourth goal last night, which was a big one, gave the Jets a little bit of breathing room. So the Jets don't necessarily need a lot of chances. If you go by natural stat trick, Winnipeg had six high danger chances in total last night. Toronto had 24. Wow. Winnipeg scored four goals with just six high danger chances. Toronto scored three on 24. Just six? Just six. Mm. So, you know, again, it's a bit subjective. And I know depending on who you ask, some will take issue with the way those are calculated. But it follows a very similar trend with Winnipeg. They regularly... So I'm, I'm curious about something about these this high, high danger, danger chances or whatever, these high dangers. Is, has it been proven at all that the team that has the most of those will successfully win a Stanley Cup? <laughs> no, I don't think it has been. And you know, oh, But the team that scores lots of goals and wins will, games, they, they will tend to win. No. That is a proven fact, <laughs> undisputed. So here's where... I'm just wondering why it's been determined that this is the measure of whether you're a good team right. or not. Okay, so like it... it and I'm not, I don't mean to fight against these analytics so much, Mike, but it just seems to me that it's really... It's been determined that this is an important part and this will determine whether you're going to be a successful team right. or not. 
and whereas the Jets are scoring because they have such great skill, they don't need to play that type of game. No, they play a different game that is successful. For them Toronto, as Paul Maurice pointed out, is the best team in the league at creating those chances, and they are the highest scoring team in the league. They so are. it's working for them, and um, you know, and so the way that the Jets play is working for them. It does. Now, if you're if you don't even want to look at the analytics, if you just want to look at the the regular old stats, they did get outshot 39 to 23. We can debate is Some giving, of that was late. Is there, giving yeah. up 39 shots to the highest scoring team in the league a recipe for sustained success? For the Jets end of things, 23 shots, sometimes that's all they need to I score four goals. I think, though, goals. that the shots were indicative of the play, Mike. No, Could, maybe. You, they, no, they weren't. The third those, period, those shots were late. They were once they it had, was six on, once they, well, they had, had the goalie pulled. The and goal, Yeah, all of that, yeah. And For the a Jets, long period of time, the shots were kind of They close. were, and the Jets yeah. had the two-goal lead, so they're sitting back For a little sure. bit. Toronto's coming on. Um, here's the other thing with, with high <laughs> it danger. It was 4-3, folks. <laughs> it was, right. Once Well, once Matthew scored with just under two minutes left. Yeah. Um, I've, there was a, a play earlier this year, Kyle Connor scored a goal from the slot, and I remember looking at the high danger chances that period, the Jets didn't have any, and Kyle Connor had scored a goal that no goalie was going to stop. They didn't even call that a high danger chance. So here's where I do have a little bit of a beef. I wonder sometimes, Steve, did the analytics take into account the quality of shooter? Or are they just simply going by where on the ice the puck was shot and they that's either yes or no. It's very black and white. And that and the answer is yes. Yeah, but that. Nate Thompson's taking that shot. Like, right. Like, that's what I mean. Nothing so against Nate Thompson, the Jets folks. have some guys <laughs> that I would say would outscore the 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 typical averages that you know back when they had well, Patrick Laine and Kyle are, Connor, yeah. the guys like that can finish in ways that maybe other shooters wouldn't. Right. So Again, the Jets don't need a whole lot of chances. I, I think the Jets did make a statement that, you know, they they do it their way. Um, it's not always pretty. It may not be the most conventional way. And I guess you could argue how sustainable it really is. But the the end of the day, they're 16, 8, and 1. And two more games against the Leafs this, this week. I mean, win one or two of those and, and they're really making some noise. <laughs> All right, folks, we're back for the second period of our Jet Cetra podcast. Um, a little bit more about the game last night, Mike. Um, Nathan Beaulieu uh, went down in the second period. Early right? in the second. Early yeah. in the second period. He took a shot to the hand and didn't return. And so then the Jets were um, forced to play with five defensemen for the rest of the game. Josh Morrissey, I think, played 30 minutes, 29 minutes 29. or something. 29 minutes or something Scored like that. Scored his so, first goal, too, of the year. Yeah, right. A, a weird one, for sure. Um, so I thought that the defense played a solid game. I thought that Dylan DeMello was yes. starting to look more and more like that coach's porn that uh, Paul Maurice um, uh, has uh, spoken about. I, I thought chuckled that, when uh, I read your playbook this morning. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> Some uh, guy sent me an email. He goes, I really agree with you about the Dylan DeMello thing. I'm not sure I want to know what coach's porn is, though. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you kind of had to be there. Uh, <laughs> I guess if you haven't heard, right? It. So, um, you know, it's a beleaguered bunch for sure. They, 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 they're constantly being told that they're not very good. <laughs> right. Um, a lot of people don't think that they're very good. It's the perception is that they've got the Jets have a terrible defense. Um, I'll, I'll say this: watching the game, you know, I'm just watching on television, like you folks. Um, 
the worst two players on defense last night were Kyle Connors and Nikolai Ehlers. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. Like, yeah. And so like, if you're a defenseman on the Jets, it seemed like the, the Leafs had mo- a majority of these high danger chances, by the way, and pressure in the Jets zone when those two guys were... They can score, and they scored. They scored a nice goal, but oh my god, guys! Like, what are you doing? That like, first goal, the Zach Hyman goal. By the way, I agree with you in your playbook because Zach Hyman's a hell of a hockey yeah, player. Yeah, wow, can he play? I believe he's a UFA after this year. Oh yeah, Toronto's gonna have to. Toronto's gonna have trouble re-signing him because they are in cap hell. Zach Hyman's a great player. Um, the fact that he often plays with Austin Matthews on the top line, the style of play that he is, like, is is indicative of how much the coaches love him. The Jets made it easy for him, though, on that first goal. There were two... two Kyle main, Connor just watched There them. were two culprits. I mean, Nathan <laughs> Beaulieu... And look, I love Nathan Bolio, the the human, the person. Right. He's struggled at times. It's the dog thing, right? Yeah, the dog <laughs> thing, right? Um, he he did something in that first period yesterday, which he's prone to do, and he's done it a lot lately. He tries to throw the big hit, he misses, and now his guy is gone. And in the case of yet, so earlier this year, I think it was against Ottawa, he tried to hit a guy missed and the guy went in and scored on a breakaway yesterday he didn't even try and hit the puck carrier Zach Hyman was coming down on him for some reason he decided to try and hit the <laughs> other guy which cleared the lane but meanwhile he thought the, he thought the pass was going well and he probably also thought Kyle Connor was going to put in an effort yeah. to get his man because right. Connor was right there Kyle Connor had a great view of Zach Hyman just going in and scoring so you're right I mean that's the knock against some of these elite scorers and wingers you know it's interesting Steve I did a piece yesterday on the Jets in the face-off circle and some of their struggles talked to Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois who both had a real rough time I I don't want to say they threw their wingers under the bus but both of them brought up unsolicited how wingers need to do more to help the centermen and I you know again we we forget sometimes the Jets wingers are still they're not inexperienced, but they are still young. But they're also just so many of these guys, the Ealers and the Connors and Lining when he's here, like they're offensive guys. They probably never had to do certain things when they were coming up through the ranks. Like they never had to play defense, right, in junior because all they they just score goals. And so teaching them the the other part of the game, I think, is very much a work in progress. And so we see it. On Some games they seem fine, but there's other games where clearly that those two guys, those two guys in particular, really struggle in their own zone, um, getting the puck out, picking up men. Um, it, it, Kyle Connor makes some great stick checks or whatever. They both have good sticks, and they both are great at exiting the zone right. and getting the puck out. But they stand around a lot. Yeah, they that's do. for sure. <laughs> um, but the blue line, yeah. I mean, you know, to me, it was interesting. I've been advocating a bit here that I think Dylan DeMello should be playing with Josh Morrissey again. Because I, I think DeMello had been trending in the right direction. Last night, I thought, was maybe his best game in a long time. And part of that, I think, Steve, was because he got to play with Morrissey yesterday after Nathan Bolio went down, who DeMello had been paired with. Now you're down to 5D, so you kind of got the blender out. Everybody was playing with everybody. Uh, And DeMello looked real good. We're going to get an update here in just a bit from Paul Maurice about Nathan Bolio and and his status. But I'll I'll say this. I mean, I I don't want to speculate. But the fact that he couldn't return to the game, 
that's not really a good sign for his immediate availability. If it was just a bruise or, you know, a stinger or whatever in his hand, chances are he's back on the bench. Guys play through that all the time. Nathan Bullio plays through that all the time. This is a guy who broke bones three different times last year blocking shots. I hope for his sake that we're not talking about a fourth, but I do wonder if that's the case. Um, so so if he goes down, who would come in? I guess either Logan Stanley or Sammy Nico, I guess. And I know yeah. who we both would advocate for. Uh, I, I guess. Uh, Nico was okay. He was in, okay in, the in, last in, couple in games. his return there. Um, Stanley brings some size and some... Um, Which I, they're going to lose with Bolio. Like, right. Not that Stanley's the most physical guy, but again, Bolio is him and Forbert, and I guess Pionk, who hits everything are your most physical guys. So uh, they're not using Sammy Niku, for example, on the penalty kill. Logan Stanley, they might trust to throw out there to kill a penalty, move some guys out from the front of the net. I think it would be Stanley. Um, he'd have to be activated off the taxi squad, but that would be solved by putting a guy like Bolio There's on lots of chatter, injured reserve. Lots of chatter online and, and, and some stories have been written as well about the Jets at the trade deadline and that they probably would try to get a defenseman. We'll see how that goes, of course. And then one of the names that keeps popping up is Matthias Ekholm, who plays for the Nashville Predators, has a real good contract for this year and next year. Um, pretty good player. I, I Assistant captain of the There's Predators. a lot of talk about this. Is is there any chance that this is going to happen? What do you think? Well, you know, the Jets, I think, because he has term beyond this year, would that would make the price steeper than it would be if it was just a pure rental. And here's, here's where that gets complicated, Steve. I just wrote the other day about the expansion draft with Seattle. Teams can only protect, you either go seven forwards, 3D, and a goalie, seven, three, and one, or if you, let's say you had a glut of defensemen you wanted to protect, you could go just eight skaters and one goalie. But So instead of 10 skaters, seven and three, you're just protecting eight. For the Winnipeg Jets, I presume they want to protect Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk, and Dylan DeMello, I would think, who they just signed to a four-year, $3 million a year contract. If that's the case, and you go get a guy like Ekholm, who has term, how are you protecting him? And if you're not protected, if, if you got Ekholm, well, now you've got to expose someone else. So now you risk losing like Dylan DeMello. So that's an added cost potentially to a trade, regardless of what you're also sending to Nashville. Plus, you have the quarantine issue this year to consider, which we saw with Pierre-Luc Dubois. There's a lot of extra factors this year that make it, I think, more complicated to, to pull off a trade, expansion, quarantine. So... I mean, I don't know. Another name out there is David Savard. He's a, a defenseman with with Columbus. Yeah, who the same Jets, deal, though. He's a UFA though. After this, okay, year. all right. So there's the issue that okay, you get him. He's just he'd just be a rental. Whereas at home, you have him for another year, but you'd have to find a way to protect him or ex- expose him and then lose him. I mean, I guess you could bring him in as a rental and see if Seattle wants to take him. It depends what Nashville would want for him, right? Yeah. Right, and you know, if I'm the Jets. They already gave up first-round draft picks two straight years. They didn't last year. I don't know if I'd be willing to part with a third first-round draft pick in the last four seasons um, in this unusual year. And you wonder if that if Nashville would start with, okay, give us your first-rounder and then something. Um, I think the and then something could be debated. I just don't know that I'd want to part with a first-rounder, although the draft is going to be a complete crapshoot this year, so who knows. <laughs> 
All right, folks, we're back for the third period of our Jet Setra podcast. Mike, tomorrow is one year since the sports world first went dark, March the 11th, 2020. Um, you were in Calgary, I guess, after the Jets had played the previous night in Edmonton. Um, you're going to give us a column tomorrow looking back on all that's happened over the last year. Man, it seems like it's been 14 years, I thought. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it does feel like it's that been a something. nice long year though yeah. hey at my age i like long years <laughs> <laughs> better than the short i'm in no hurry for right. time to fly by i just yeah oh, wow i sure hope this uh, you know <laughs> time flies yeah so um so what are your immediate thoughts i my immediate thought is like um it's been one hell of a year for unique storylines it has um it's it's really been a unique year i feel for the boss and I were sitting in here yesterday. Um, folks, listen, I've I've been working the entire year. Um, I still live in my nice house in, in Winnipeg here, and I, I have four bikes, and and um, I, I I drive my BMW to work every day. And I'm I I I'm, quite frankly, Mike, have been a little insulated from all of this or whatever. I mean, I've been affected. There's been certain things I haven't been able to do or whatever, but not like a lot of people have been affected. And so, um, but. You know, so um, my thoughts always go out to those folks or whatever. Yeah, and, and, you know, I feel much the same way. I feel like I'm closer with my kids than ever before because I've spent more time with them this yeah. last year. I've got myself in better shape in the last year because yeah. of yeah. Par- partly because of the time that's been afforded of me. Uh, and so you're right. I mean, you look at people who are struggling and you think sort of of your own situation that, hey, it's not that bad, actually. No. I yeah, I miss yeah. traveling a bit. But yeah. you know what? That's There's bigger worries in the world. Um, but purely from a sports perspective, I mean, I think what we've seen is some resilience from various sports leagues, whether it's the NHL finding a way back last summer, MLB kind of slogged through a shortened season, the NFL, and then there were times it looked like that wasn't going to work, but they they found a way. And of course, the light now is kind of emerging, I'd say, at the end of the tunnel. There's great news on the vaccine front uh, here, even in Manitoba. Things seem to be moving. <laughs> even in Manitoba. Even in says. Manitoba, where... Even in Manitoba. <laughs> right, where I'd say, you know, a little bit ago, it didn't look as positive in terms of the speed. But now with the reduction to just one shot, you know, they've accelerated the timelines, thinking that the majority of of people could be vaccinated as early as May, maybe as late as June, but still that's pretty encouraging. And, you know, if you're a team like the Gold Eyes or the Bombers who both didn't play, I mean, the Gold Eyes did, but all in the U.S. last year, that has to be welcome news for the potential uh, to to get the green light uh, later this this spring and summer. Um, You know, the NHL, they're now into their second season and we've all kind of gotten used to the idea that these games are being played without fans to the point now, Steve, I don't know about you, when I turn on a game and it's involving American teams and I see fans in the stands, like it's a a jolt to see that because you've just gotten so used to the tarps covering. Well, it's weird because it's only part fans, right? Right. I mean, so it's like. It's like watching a Florida Panthers hockey game, sort of. <laughs> yeah, right. And yet a Florida Panthers game, they're one of the teams with fans. I mean, they can now have like 3,500 fans in there. That's a that's a big crowd these days. Um, you know, it was interesting. Paul Maurice was talking the other day about his memories of the day it all shut down and how he foolishly thought, oh, this is just going to be a few days. Like, we're just going to 
be put on pause here for a few days and then we'll get right back to it. Like when you look back, Steve, kind of how naive we were to it all. Um, I, I certainly was like, I, I remember initially thinking, should I just stay here in Calgary for a couple of days? Cause the game's probably going to happen. Right. Right. And then I didn't know that it'd be, you know, that many months, uh, that the league would shut down. And then when it did come back, the unique way that that happened, you know, what's his name? Rudy Gobert. He's kind of the, uh, he was the canary in the coal mine to all this. Right. And I saw somebody shared the tweet yesterday because I think it was one year to the day yesterday when Gobert appeared at that news conference and he famously went around and touched all the microphones, almost mocking COVID like because and then two days later he tests positive and and that's what kind of brought everything to a halt. Um, Yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, Steve, I'm not in a hurry for all of the the old ways to return i mean some of it i miss i think it's 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 important obviously you mentioned the gold eyes and the bombers and then the valor as well um it's for them to not play again i'm going to speak to the bombers in particular for them to not be able to play again this season would really really be devastating for the canadian football league and so um you know, I, I imagine that there's talks going on. I, I would I would hope that there's mm-hmm. talks going on between the province and the Bombers and the Canadian Football League or whatever uh, across the country to somehow... I, I don't understand why we couldn't have some fans in the stands. You know, I wrote about this a little bit uh, about a week ago where, you know, I was down at the Forks right. on a recent spring-like day and there was thousands of people and everybody was kind of shoulder to shoulder enjoying the the weather and um and it i i i presume it didn't wasn't a super spreader event no um and so i i think that i i would trust that the uh, the uh the the bombers and 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 none of the jets for that matter true north or whatever to to have limited fans back in the stands and then and then yeah i mean if we're all vaccinated by by the end of May or whatever, then I, I, I'm I'm not sure would then it be a hundred percent like if it's all vaccinated, if everybody's vaccinated or you'd think very close to. I mean, in? they're not a hundred percent of the population is necessarily going to be vaccinated. I think the estimates are that seventy percent would, okay. but that that's more than enough right. to acquire. The, yeah, some people won't do it, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but to your point about the fork, Steve. I mean. So a couple of weeks ago, the test positivity rate was more than it is today. That number keeps going down, right? right. I think it was 2.2 or something in That's Winnipeg. That's the most important number, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah. as we go on, I mean, if that trend continues, what's the positive? The chances of there being really any COVID in a gathering of whether we're talking 10,000, 15,000, whatever, as long as that keeps going down, when you're weighing sort of risk reward, to me that that balance starts working in favor of of the teams themselves. And as the weather gets nicer, and I'm we- curious how people will react to it. That's the most I think. Will people go? Like, how will they feel? Right. I mean, a lot of people. I got to think if you've been vaccinated, you'd feel a lot more comfortable I- now, right? I guess so. <laughs> I'm not sure. Like, I mean, so how not? would you? Okay, so if I'm vaccinated and there's a efficacy rate on these vaccines or whatever, do I can I just ca- throw caution to the wind and go do all the other things that I used to yeah. do? Just can I? Whoa. I mean, I'm I'm is not that your phone. Yeah, that is my phone. I'm not suggesting that um, that people go and you know 
just start licking the person next to them or whatever. <laughs> like, I think I think some of the things we've learned about hygiene and so, like, why not still apply some of that? That's not to say we all have to wear masks forever or whatever, but, you know, I, I do think we're still going to see some of these principles apply, whether it's washing your hands or covering your mouth when no, you... No, I more meant that I don't know that. I think that there's still be a certain group of people that would still be cautious about going into these type of yeah. situations, even vaccinated, even 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 if they're told it's safe. I think that there's still going to be some caution at the beginning. By uh, uh, There will be by me. I'm going to say, speak for mm -hmm. myself and, and, I, and from people that I hear, that even after being vaccinated, even there's still going to be some caution to just immediately return to a full stadium where I'm sitting um, shoulder to shoulder with another person. <laughs> All right, folks, we're back for the overtime session of our Jet Setter podcast. Mike, we took a extended break there. Um, you folks won't have to endure it because our crack producer, Jen Zarati, will edit it out. But um, we had to take a little pit stop while you participated in the Jets Zoom calls in my office here. I just sat here, did nothing, basically. Watched you, you literally put your feet up. I did, but that's... I, you I, you I always do have your I feet. I do that yeah. a lot, yeah. I did make a phone call to Taylor Allen to talk to him you about did. something. You managed. Oh, Jeff Hamilton called, too, yeah. So I actually did a little work um, while you were chatting with Paul Maurice, Neil Pionk. Dylan uh, DeMello and Andrew Kopp. And Andrew Kopp. And so Maurice gave you some breaking news. Yes, uh, Nathan Bolio, who we talked about, I think, in the first or second period. Uh, I don't know. That seems it's like been a, a while. A, a month ago. Uh, he's going to be out uh, multiple weeks. Uh, Paul Maurice didn't say it's a broken hand, but I suspect it's a broken hand. Poor guy can't catch a break or catches all the breaks because this will be his fourth injury since last season where we presume he suffered a broken bone or two. Blocking a shot. Um, All right, so he's not going to be able to play golf uh, with that. He will not hand. be able to play golf. Zoom right into our playing golf. Are you Ooh. playing golf? You're looking forward to playing some golf. Spring has definitely sprung, folks. Um, not officially, because that's the 20th, 20th we think, of March, 10 yeah. days or so from yeah, now. Yeah. But my goodness, plus 15 on, uh, on Monday. Uh, it was a little cooler yesterday, and we actually got some rain. By the way, they got something in, in western Manitoba, Steve. I'm a weather nut. They called it thunder snow. Have you ever heard of thunder snow? No. So that's when a, they got thunderstorms yesterday in western Manitoba that produced snow instead oh. of rain. Thunder Weird. snow. Yeah. That in western Manitoba. Well, we don't have to worry about it. We're in Winnipeg here. So it was beautiful, as you said, Monday. Um, Mike, I rode my brand new bike to work on monday and um you call it your steed steve's steed uh, that's how it's called on strava which is an folks if you want to follow all my biking exploits you can follow me on strava that's an app mic for hikers bikers and runners etc etc and um yeah i was like a lot quicker i was at top speed and this is slow by biking standards was 30 kilometers an hour but um, that's like the speed limit in a school zone. Yeah. Like if you're going any faster, that. you're going to get pulled you're gonna over. You're going to get a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> even on a weekend apparently, or even on a holiday. Yeah. yeah. Let's not go there. So, um, yeah, my, my commute was, uh, the, the ride home was about, was like about 12 minutes quicker than normal. So I was, I was going pretty good. 
So um, I was thinking golf. I uh, went for my walk at Kelowna Park the other day and watching all the snow melt off Kelowna and golf, What's the golf course. Look like there's nobody out. Is there? And nothing's open. Is there any? No, they, I mean there open? had been cross country skiers all over the golf course recently, but as you can imagine, the cross country ski season has come to a screeching halt uh, with all the snow melting. Uh, so there is a lot of green showing. Um, so this morning, uh, Mike's looking for some new uh, golf clubs. I sent him a link to a set of irons, Cobra irons, on uh, Facebook Marketplace. Um, five iron through pitching wedge. But Mike's response was he likes hitting the low irons. Okay, um, folks, here's the quote. Lee Trevino said it. If you are caught on a golf course during a storm and are afraid of lightning, hold up a one iron. Not even God, Mike, can hit a one iron. He didn't throw the mic. Not right. even God yeah, he's talking to me. can hit a one iron, Mike. I know Lee Trevino wasn't talking to me because Lee Trevino has clearly never seen me hit a one iron. <laughs> I, I, I can hit a one iron. I've hit one before many times, and I dare say Straight? I've hit it pretty well. Yes. In fact, I've never been a huge fan. Now, hybrids are a little bit different, but I hated hitting woods. I'm the guy that would hit. I'll hit a three iron off the tee oh, okay. all the time, as opposed to a driver or right. a three wood. So how how far are you hitting a wire iron? I, oh, I can like I can hit my three iron about two forty. Wow! If I like if I got a little bit of a breeze, I can crush my three iron. Okay. Um, a one iron. I mean, again, I haven't hit it a whole lot. So you don't hit your driver when you play golf? Nope. Okay. Do not. Well, so more recently I did get a, I forget what kind it is, a big oversized driver. I'm right. a little more comfortable with that. So I will take that out. But if, if the course is narrow at all, forget it. I'm hitting iron all day, every day. Um, He's a regular Tiger Woods, folks. Yes. So, uh, but, but I, so they don't make one irons or two irons in sets. Like you were telling me nowadays because of hybrids i guess especially Pretty much everybody's gonna buy five, five and to up. pitching wedge nowadays and then they're gonna buy a, a couple of hybrids yeah um to to round that out and i and you know I, I i couldn't remember what i had in my bag actually it's been so long that i played i actually went down and looked or whatever and i have a driver then i have a four wood and then add a three hybrid and then i do have a four iron i can actually hit a four iron um but not always um i I waver sometimes between at times I thought about getting a four hybrid and then I have four wedges in my bag right. because typically when I played, I could drive the ball pretty well. And so a lot of my game was drive wedge, right. like depending on the courses you're playing. I mean, if I was playing a shorter course, like Kildonan, it would be drive putt. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple holes you could drive a par four. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um, I have driven some par four greens uh, in my, in my life. Um, but um, so uh, yeah, you know, the hybrids, if you can, if you can, if you can wrap your head around the mic, I mean, I haven't seen you, I've never seen you play golf, right? so I don't know what your swing speed is like, but to hit those low irons, you got to have some swing speed. You do. Uh, so here's a question. We're sitting here March 10th. What's the over under on when golf courses are going to open in this province? We're probably, first of all, we're probably jinxing it because we're probably due for a blizzard at the end of the month or something, right? Like we're going to pay for this good weather, but I look around, see, there's almost no snowpack left in Winnipeg. Well, I'm looking at the forecast here. Friday's 5, Saturday 9, Gets Sunday nice 7, Monday 8. I would suggest that if that continued that trend historically on the many years that I did play golf, 
that uh, Cottonwood would be opening soon. <laughs> <laughs> like Shooter's driving range Cottonwood. is probably open tomorrow. Right. At Cottonwood this isn't open; it's closed these days. But I guess the right. course the, the the that opens first these days, I'm told, or whatever, is Kingswood. Yes. Um. So um. I don't know. Maybe next week. I doubt this weekend, though. Eh? I wouldn't think this weekend. Yeah, I mean, isn't the ground kind of still frozen, which is uh, a bit of a problem? Uh, you know, it's... Depending on how you hit the ball, I guess. Right. I mean, you know that golf courses are probably going to, like some of these courses are going to open as soon as they humanly can. So what are you going to do? Are you going to use your old clubs right off the hop or what? No, I think my plan, I'd like to find a, a new set and have it ready to go for when I... Have uh, you been looking? I have, yeah. Where have you been looking? On Facebook Marketplace, okay. yeah, primarily. There's not um, much on there. I didn't there find is much. not a whole no, lot. I wonder not. if people are less likely to give up their clubs. It's just outs. not worth it to sell your. Uh, uh, how much? Like, uh, it's funny. I was talking with a guy in the in the building here, and he was like, "I can't believe Mike McIntyre thinks he could buy your clubs." This is what he said, <laughs> and he says, "Like, does he know how you play?" Anyways, um, so it's not really worth it to sell your clubs, even if you're not using them. Right. You know what I mean? Like, how much am I going to charge for? If I was going to sell my clubs, I mean, how much am I going to get for them? Like right. 500 bucks, right. do you know what I mean? And what's that going to do for me, really, 500 bucks? I can't even buy another bike with that, right? Do you know what I mean? So it's not really worth it unless I – and they don't take up a whole lot of space. No. So I think people, guys who have played who have a decent set of clubs, they would kind of be reluctant to, to them. sell them because, right. like, just – because then what if I want to go out and play, right? Now you got to go get a replacement yeah, what am set, I gonna which do? is going to cost you more well, than what right. you probably so made. Right, so I think so. that you're going to be hard-pressed to, to find a good – Set of used clubs like that. Right? Yeah, have you been so looking at Golf Town and other places? I have not yet, oh, but okay. that's definitely on the uh, on the menu. Um, I looked this morning. Their their uh, their prices are going up since I bought mine. I would think because I mean everything we heard, golf courses had a pretty good year last year, right? And so I mean people are playing the game maybe a little more locally than they had been in recent years. So. Well, every, people are doing all kinds of things outdoors more right. than they did. I mean like uh, whether it's biking, hiking, camping, golfing, all of it, right? Do you know what I mean? Like everybody's doing that. Uh but yeah, we'll see. Uh, I this I may have to make a decision quicker than I thought because yeah. uh this weather has just been uh absolutely remarkable. So I did I think I mentioned it last week or did I did mention it to you that somebody did send me an email and said you should suck it up and just go get fitted first. Get set fitted, of clubs. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I mean, I probably should. Uh, that that to me almost speaks to they, they, they're giving me more credit than I deserve. That well, I'm. You don't have to be a great golfer, I guess, to go get a, a no, fitted set. No, it would just it, probably. It, it it's it's if you're gonna play regularly, getting fitted, and if it, getting fitted isn't like you're gonna have custom clubs. It's just that they're gonna properly fit you for the, the length and everything that you need to play your best or whatever, yeah. right? And so um, that's probably going to cost you, uh, you know, for irons. It looked like anyways, I was looking at Golf Town today or whatever, you know, 800 bucks or so anyways, right? Well, uh, I'll just go talk to the boss about a raise. Yeah, and, good luck with uh, that. <laughs> and then we'll, uh, we'll see you mean how your that... wife? Yeah. <laughs> hey Zing. I got to see my dad. My dad's an accountant and he's doing my taxes here in the next week or so. So yeah, right maybe I'll, I'll have to see what the, uh, what, what the tax return or, or payment ends up coming. That may determine, I guess, how big I want to go depending right. on what I owe or what I'm getting back. Cause I'm not sure just yet. Well, I think it's exciting. Mike. I, I, I know like when I, when I f first started to, get a little bit more serious about golf. This is remind you're reminding me a little bit about I had these old clubs yeah. like you did or whatever. And then I bought a pair of used clubs from a guy 
for about a hundred bucks that were they were okay and but then when i decided that i was gonna get the serious game a little, a little serious, bit, yeah. a little more seriously or whatever i went out and bought a pair of, uh, of, of irons adams um and i bought uh, some cobra woods i bought a uh, driver and a three wood and a five wood uh, man i love that king cobra five wood but anyways and then and then these adams clubs were heavy cavity back uh, Adams is really known on the seniors tour, so for old guys it was good. Um, for a slower swing speed, they're, they're a really good set of clubs. Same with Cobra, by the way. Right. Uh, and most of us do not have the swing speed that pros have, obviously. Right. So and then and then eventually I bought these. And once I got a little bit better, I went to these. I got these these pings. pings. And so, yeah, it's exciting. Good for you. I'm excited for you. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you do. Uh, I, I'll be appearing on the uh, on the amateur tour uh, by midsummer, I'm sure, at this rate. All right, folks. Well, we're running out of time today. A, it's afternoon. I got to get to work. And B, we've gone on long, long, long enough <laughs> about our golfing and biking. Um, so maybe by this time next week, we can tell you all about Mike's. Could new be teeing golf. it up. Hey, we'll see, fingers crossed. All right. <laughs>